Hey, I want to say welcome to the Vineyard Northwest. If this is your first time, especially a warm welcome to you. We're honored that you're joining us this morning. And we have a gift for you out in the atrium at the Welcome Center. It's a Vineyard Worship CD, so you can grab that on your way out. We would also love if you filled out a Connect card, which you'll find in the back of the seat in front of you. Then you can throw that in the offering as we receive that later on. So if you'd like to give to the offering, you can make checks payable to Vineyard Northwest, and there's also envelopes uh, also in the back of the seat in front of you that you can use for your gift. If you miss the basket when it comes by, there's boxes on the back wall, and you can also give online or through the mobile app. So a couple things that I want to highlight. We have, this was also announced last week, there is a one-day seminar called Divorce and Beyond at Sharonville Convention Center on March 3rd. So this event um, is for anyone who's gone through a divorce and it is paired with a 13 week class that we're doing here called Divorce Care. And that is gonna begin on March 13th. So the one day seminar, March 3rd, the 13 week class begins March 13th. And this is really designed to equip people with tools for healing, uh, for moving forward in their life after a divorce. Um, we we want to say that at Vineyard Northwest, we're a church that fully supports marriage. And we fully believe in the lifelong covenant of marriage, how God designed it to be. But we also want to recognize the reality that we live in a broken world and people are going through this and we don't want to just be blind to that and leave them out to dry. We want to equip them with tools. So if you can make it to both of those, the, the day seminar and the class, that's, that's how it's designed to be. But even if you can just make it to one of those, it's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. So grab a flyer um, on the way out and uh, keep up to date with the announcements. And that's really going to be an amazing seminar and course that you'll want to be a part of. Everything that I've talked about and more is in the program, which you can get by the doors or on the mobile app. And without further ado, I'd like to invite up our senior pastor, Van Cochran. We're in a series called Undaunted. This is going to be an amazing message. Let's hear it for Van. Thanks for the welcome, everyone. Hey, if you were here last week, um, if you weren't, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed. I used the Patriots and the Super Bowl as an illustration to come into this message on Undaunted. Do you remember that? Okay, if you were here. Now, based on, basically what I did was I said that the year before the Patriots had been down 28 to three in the Super Bowl and they came back to win the game, they were undaunted. And they you know, were not discouraged by, you know, by the difficulty that they ran into. I even compared uh, Kraft, Belichick, and Brady to the Trinity. You remember that? Okay. It was a lighthearted comparison, okay? But actually, uh, what I said was that their team had complete confidence in their quarterback and coach that they could come back and win the game. And so that really does relate because uh, for you and for me, it's the Father, Son, and the Spirit. They don't lose games, okay? And, and we, we can be assured that no matter what we're facing in life, we know that God has something good for us. We know that God's life and power and presence are there. So we can be undaunted about the whole thing. Well, how many of you actually know what the outcome of the Super Bowl was? You know, the 
Patriots lost. Yeah, yeah. I thought that would get some cheers. What we're going to do is um, we're going to have a, a prayer line for Patriots fans for healing, inner healing, okay? And just, just look for where the Steelers fans are and uh, you all get prayer together. I actually had thought about saying, well, the Bengals season, let's have some healing prayer for that. But then I thought, nah, we don't have enough faith for that. You know, <laughs> healing there, yeah. So undaunted. Undaunted was the word we chose because it speaks to more than just a, a grit that keeps you going. It is that. But undaunted is a positive thing. There is this sense in which you're pressing ahead. You're not just holding ground. And so to be undaunted speaks to the issue of having some peace and some joy in your life. Jesus even said he, uh, that we're going to face hardship in life. But he said, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of heart, take courage. I've overcome the world. And so we know that in Jesus, even though we face hardship, uh, we don't just have to slug it out with a sad face and broken heart for the rest of our lives. We can walk in joy and peace in spite of the difficulties we face. We can be undaunted. Now, the, the term undaunted, the word actually means not intimidated or discouraged by difficulty, danger, or disappointment. Last week, we looked at the Apostle Paul as an illustration of being undaunted, and I shared with you just two points that I had learned from Paul over my life that have really helped me to keep going in, you know, when, when I hit difficult things. One of them was just the simplicity and basic understanding of duty. And the other, the other point was to understand the power of prophetic words and prophetic scripture. And so I, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to those messages or listen to that message if you haven't yet so you can track through this whole series that we're doing. But today what we're going to do is look at a story in the Bible that really is one of the sweetest, most beautiful stories we'll find in the Bible. It's of a young woman named Ruth and of her encounter with God, her encounter with difficulty, and how she kept true to God through the difficulty and the pain, and how she moved ahead in life. Now, there's an entire book dedicated to this story. It's uh, right after the book of Judges in the Old Testament. So it goes Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. Now, it comes right after Judges because this story took place during the time of the judges, which was a 300 to 350 year period in Israel's history when they didn't have any central government. There was no central leadership, no king, no, no, one, no one running the country. And so the most telling aspect of that time period is in this statement, it says that everyone did what seemed right in their own eyes. And so it was a pretty chaotic time, a pretty chaotic season in Israel's history. But um, Ruth comes on the scene during that time period. Now, this book, although it happened in the period of the judges, it wasn't actually written for several hundred years until King David was alive. And we know that because at the very end of the book, it makes reference to King David. And so the book was written in order to, to uh, in in order to show some of the family history and heritage of King David. 
So let's look at the story and, uh, and, and work our way through it. There's some tremendous lessons we can learn from it. Remember I asked you to start bringing a Bible with you or to pull out, pull out your electronic Bible if you have one or um, a paper Bible if you brought that. And we are going to read Luke, uh, Ruth 1, 1 through 10. All right, starting in verse 1. It says, when the judges, in in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab, which was a neighboring nation. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return from there, from Moab back to their home in Bethlehem. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now along the way, Naomi has some some second thoughts about this. And it says, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they they wept aloud, and they both said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Now the advantage for both of these young women of going home was, for one thing, comfort, going going back into a comfortable, uh, comfortable place, but as well, it was the place that they would have provision because not only had these women lost their husbands, think of this, Naomi, her lifelong friend is gone. Now these two young women lose their husbands. They didn't just lose husbands, they lost dreams. They lost hope. They lost a future with each of their husbands that they loved, according to Naomi, they loved them. And so they had dreamed of having children and raising families and having grandchildren together. That's all gone now. And in the face of that, they, they face this incredible loss, this earth-shaking, life, life-altering loss. And it would have made sense to go home because their families would have possibly been able to find them other husbands because that's how it was done in those days. Now, if they go with Naomi, she has nothing. She has no standing, no social standing, no... Uh, no uh, financial backing at all. Not only do they not know how they'll be provided for if they go with her, but as well, the hope of finding a husband, of her being in a position socially to find them a husband is very, very slim. But nevertheless, they both say they want to go with Naomi. Now we read verses 14 through 18 in chapter one and we see what happens next. Well, in the interim verses, Naomi says to them, no, you must go home. You can't stay with me. And then in verse 14, it says, at this they wept again. 
Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so what we see here is that Ruth, Ruth was a woman of faith. In this passage when it says, she says, may the Lord, she even uses the word Yahweh, which is the, the covenant name for Israel of God, the name God gave to Moses when Moses met God on the mountain. Yahweh means I am. It means I am existent. I am real. I am alive as opposed to all the other gods on the face of the earth who aren't. They aren't real. I am real. And she calls him Yahweh, Yahweh. And so there's faith in her heart. And the faith in her heart is revealed in her character. Even though the covenant relationship she has with Naomi is gone because her husband has died, She's still going to honor that. And, and there's this attachment in her heart to Naomi, which means she can't leave. She can't walk away. There's this thing of loyalty and honor and sacrifice and maybe a little bit of duty mixed in too, but it's all out of love. So it's, it's this desire to honor and to be loyal and faithful to Naomi. And, and undoubtedly, she had seen things in Naomi's life that led her to that. I mean, she was raised in a pagan culture. The culture of Moab, their, their main god was Chemosh. And some, uh, some translators say that means destroyer. How would you like to worship a god named destroyer? Yeah, I'm going I'm to go try to get intimate and close with destroyer. Yeah, I want destroyer to come into my heart, into my life. I want destroyer to show me what to do next. I mean, it's, it's insane, but... The whole culture and the religion of that culture was based upon some, uh, some horrible, horrible values of just sexual promiscuity that was insane. Um, adultery, child molestation, incest was just part of the culture, uh, temple prostitution, the whole thing revolved around all of this illicit sex. Now, can you imagine a culture like that? Yes, you can. You can, we can, because we live in a culture that's pretty close to that. But what they did, you have all these unwanted pregnancies in a culture like that. And so the way they dealt with that was any child that was born that they didn't want, they sacrificed it to their God. And so it was just like inconvenient babies, let's just sacri let's get rid of them. I got to say, that's, that's kind of like a picture of what's happening here in our culture too, I think. And so she had grown up in that culture, and yet now she's, in, she's connected heart to heart with Naomi, and she's seen Naomi's faith, and she's heard about Yahweh, the God of Israel. She's heard about this covenant God, and his goodness, and his love, and she's, come, she's become a believer. And so she doesn't want to go back home, and she doesn't want to go back to that. But nevertheless, home is a comforting place. 
Home is a place where you find some security. You, you, and, and we have a tendency when we face extreme loss and there's this gaping hole in our hearts to want to go to some place that is comfortable, to want to fall back into something, a relationship or, or uh, some thought pattern or daydreams or some other, uh, s- some, some other substitute for that thing. We want to pull that into our hearts and, and find some peace that way. But, but here's, here's what Naomi did. She found this peace in a godly relationship. She found her, her meaning in a godly relationship. And so one of the things we have to be careful of is this. When we face loss, one of the ways that we can move ahead in an undaunted fashion is by leaning into godly relationships. Lean into the godly ones. That doesn't mean we don't have relationships with people that don't know the Lord. Of course we do. Of course we do. We want to nurture those. But lean into the godly relationships. That's where your heart is going to be stabilized in a time of grief and incredible loss. And so when, when we think of that and we realize the importance of that, then it really kind of begs the question of, am I nurturing godly relationships? And I would say one of the things we need to do is to nurture godly relationships. Have friendships with people who know Jesus who are not going to be shocked when I tell them something I'm struggling with, who are not going to try to lecture me or fix me when I open up some of my brokenness in my heart or my fears or anxieties, but they're just going to love me and they're going to care for me from a Jesus godly heart fashion. And if there's encouragement or words to be brought into the picture, they're brought in not, not to fix or correct, but they're brought in at the right time just to enhance and to bless and to strengthen. So godly relationships are one of the things we see here. They're more important and more valuable than anything else we will have access to when we face extreme loss like this. Now, my second point is very much like that, and that is this, pursue God himself. Just pursue God himself. And, and when I prioritize godly relationships in a season like this, what I am doing is really, I'm, I'm wanting more of God, and you help me find more of God. And when I'm with you, I am encouraged to trust God more. And, and so, when, when, when I'm seeking godly relationships, I'm really seeking more of God because disappointment and loss like this leaves a huge hole in your heart. And, and don't, don't try to fill it in ways that don't help you find God, more of God. But for, for Ruth, what she was doing, she's looking around and she's saying, where is God? Where's God working? Wait a second, God's sure not working in my homeland, but Yahweh is the God of Judah and Israel, that's where we're going, that's where I'm going. If that's where God is, then that's where I want to be. And God's in Naomi, and so I want to be with her. And so this young woman is making these incredibly courageous decisions and, and, and stepping ahead into the place where she's going to experience God the most fully and, and, and be able to see him work and to walk with him. Now, there's these other incredible characteristics about this woman, but this whole idea that she had a heart for God is something that you and I need to really, really take note and take seriously because she knew God. She knew that he was good. <coughs> Pardon me. 
she knew that he was good. And she, she, wasn't, she wasn't fearful of getting closer to him. Now, a verse that has strengthened my heart over the years is um, Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm sure a number of you know it, but it's this. God's speaking to the nation of Israel while they're in captivity, and he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans for welfare and not calamity, that you might have a future and a hope. And so what we have to do in order to pursue more of God is get past any sense in which we are laying the disappointment and the loss at the feet of God. Now, it might be, yeah, that's right. It might be, it's natural as, as human beings to, in frustration and pain, to cry out and say, God, where are you? What, you know, why has this happened or why hasn't this happened? That's natural, but that's different than blaming God. That's just a, that's just a normal response of pain, like a little baby uh, reaching up to its parent crying and, and because of the pain. But we have to press through that because if we stay there, then we cut ourselves off from the comfort and the peace and the strength that only God can give us. And so if I, I have to press through that, I have to get through this idea that, God, this is your fault. You, you, know, it's your, you let me make that dumb decision, and why did you let me make that dumb decision? I mean, um, it's, it's possible for us to go into to all sorts of rationales for why somebody else is responsible or God's responsible, when the simple truth is we live in a broken, fallen world and bad things happen, and God is the only one there who can comfort us and strengthen us, enable us to prosper in spite of the bad things that happen. He's the only one that can do that. And so we have to press through any anger or resentment towards God and just rest in him and love him. Now, that's all based on his goodness. And one of the things that I believe that is so essential when you're going through a hard time is not only godly relationships, but just scripture, just reading the Bible, just opening up the Bible and reading it. Uh, there's this principle called the law of first mention. And basically, it's this. The first time you hear about a topic in life is going to have a greater impact upon what you believe about that topic than any other time. Okay, so the first time it's mentioned, the first time you encounter this issue, the person presenting it is going to speak in a way that it's going to have an impact upon your mind and your heart and, and kind, of, kind of settle in there and, and have a strong impact upon your direction, especially if it's somebody you respect especially if it's somebody respect. Now, this is why I always wanted to be the guy that told my kids about sex. I didn't want to have to play catch up and try to correct everything later. You want to stand up right now, Will? And yeah, <laughs> wave to everybody. Any of my other kids, Brent, Brent listens to a lot of these. If Brent's listening to this, he'll remember that. And Chad, Emily, I think Lori took the lead with Emily, but uh, you get my point. Now, here's the thing. I believe this whole issue of first mention, that principle applies to our daily lives as well. It's not just the first time in life you hear, but daily. And so we have to ask ourselves, what am I listening to daily? What's the first mention? What's the first thing when I get up in the morning? Do I go to the news? Do I go to the sports? Do I go to Scrabble or some other game that I like? What's the first mention in my mind? And, and I want to propose this to you. First thing before anything else, before you make the coffee, 
open the Bible, read a psalm, have a devotional with a Bible verse at the top, read that verse and think about it and read what the writer says about it if you'd like. But the first thing, first mention every day, scripture, especially when you're going through times of stress and loss. But really all the time we need to do that because the Bible's alive. God speaks to our hearts through it. So what we're gonna do right now, just to give you a taste of this, we're gonna read a passage, one whole Psalm. This is Psalm 13, and it's just, a, just six or seven verses long, but uh, we're gonna have it come up on the screen, and I'm gonna ask everyone to stand. Let's all stand right now, and we're gonna read this together, okay? I'll start, and then you follow along. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, lest I die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Okay, have a seat. What's the most important word in this psalm? The most important word. But. It is but. The most important word in this psalm is but. But, but. Okay, I'm not gonna stay there. Where are you, God? What's, why is this happening? You know, I'm questioning, I'm worried, I'm fearful, but I'm not gonna stay there. I'm not gonna stay there because you are good. And I'm gonna make this declaration right now in the midst of some pain I'm experiencing and questions I have, I'm gonna declare, I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. And so, man, you get up in the morning, you read something like that, it doesn't make any difference what you're facing on, in the work job, in your job or health or whatever, there's strength that comes into your heart. So I just, I just leave this with you. Read the Bible, start your day reading the Bible and let God speak to you and fill your heart through it. It'll change your life and it'll carry you through and enable you to be undaunted. Now the third point is this. Uh, take risks and expect amazing things. Yeah, take risks. This was a huge risk for Ruth to go with Naomi. The risk that she'll never, uh, never marry again. The risk that there won't be any provision for her. Uh, it's, she's trusting God, but when they get back to Bethlehem, uh, everybody sees Naomi, they're excited to see her there, but they're not all lining up to take her in and to feed her, so they don't have any food. And Ruth, what Ruth does is amazing. Normally when we think of risk and a risk taker, that sounds like, like yeah, I'm gonna run this route and you're gonna throw the ball, I'm gonna catch it in the end zone for the winning score of the game. There's something really big like that. But for Naomi, risk boiled down to her daily life, to just doing the right thing, the next right thing. And this risk came this way. She comes to Naomi and she says, allow me to go out and to glean the fields. 
And gleaning was, a, was a, uh, something in Israel that God commanded that when they harvested, they would not go right up to the edges and leave the corners so that uh, people that, that were, were poor could go there and collect food. But this was dangerous because this was a time, remember, when every man did what was right in his own eyes. So here's this young woman. I picture her as probably a pretty good-looking girl. And, and she's going out there into the fields from dawn to dusk. And that was dangerous. But it was the next thing she was supposed to do. Not only was it hard work, it was dangerous. And so she's there just doing the right thing. Nothing spectacular, just doing the right thing. And what happens, but the owner of the field comes back, his name is Boaz, and he says, who's that young woman? And they say, that's Ruth, the Moabitess. She's, she's with Naomi. Now, it so happens that Boaz is a relative to Naomi. And so he knows of Naomi. And he knows, and, and he comments on Ruth's character, the kindness she has done to Naomi, the faithfulness she's shown to Naomi. I want you to really take care of her. I want you to keep your eye on her, watch over her. She can come back here any day she wants. She doesn't have to glean in the edges of the fields. She can go, out right, go right out there with the regular service and she can just harvest and take home what she harvests. But how does she get there? She got there just by doing the right thing. Just by trusting God, taking some risk involved, but just doing the next right thing. And, and God blessed her through that. Well, as it ends up, um, Boaz was the family redeemer, kinsman redeemer. What that, what that was in the Old Testament, God's intent was for every Jewish family to own land and for that land to stay in the family line. And so if, uh, if the male owner of the land died, then the next closest kinsman could redeem that land by purchasing it. And the money then would go to the widow and it would help provide for her. But if the widow was of marriageable age, there was also the option of, um, well, actually it was more than an option in some cases, but uh, the option of marrying, marrying the widow. And so Boaz, as you read this story, you can see he's attracted to Ruth, but he's much older than her and he's not, not gonna presume to make any proposal or anything to her. And so Naomi tells Ruth how the custom goes for her to indicate to Boaz that she would be open to that if Boaz was open to it. And so when Boaz sees, sees Ruth make this, um, make this gesture, then Boaz goes immediately to another relative who was the closest relative, and he says, okay, you have the first right of redemption. Do you want to buy uh, Elimelech's land? And he says, yes, I want to buy it. And then Boaz says, oh, by the way, there's a young woman named Ruth. She comes with the land. You got to marry her too. So then the guy says, wait a second. Okay, I'm out. I don't want it. So they cut this deal. They agree to that legally in front of witnesses. Boaz buys the land, marries Ruth. He's one of the most powerful, wealthy men around. And they, they just have this total security and provision. And so leaving Moab, they have no idea what's going to happen. Now they're back in Israel and Bethlehem just for a short period of time. And in that short period of time, not only are they provided for, but Ruth has a husband. You know, it's interesting. If you're a Bible scholar or thinker, 
this was at the time of the first spring harvest. And there was a festival, harvest festival, which is also known as Pentecost. So this whole story happens. And, and later in history, it was at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and blessed the church. And so we just see this as a, as a preview of that coming blessing on, on the church and on believers. But um, the greatest blessing of this whole thing is this. And this is how the story ends. I alluded to it earlier, but it says that Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. King David, who was the one that received the promises of the, the Messiah would come through his family line. And so Ruth herself now becomes part of the Messianic family line. And what an incredible blessing that is. And, and you really have to kind of like know God to really understand that, I think. But she was blessed tremendously in this whole thing. God provided. And God provides. God cares for us. What we need to do, learn these lessons, lean into godly relationships. In the emptiness, don't fill it with anything other than God. Fill the, relation, fill the emptiness in our heart with God. And then be willing to take risk, but balance that with just focusing on doing the right thing, the next thing that's in front of me. And as we do that and demonstrate godly character that way, there's blessing from God that comes. Well, we're going to um, interview a couple from our church. We're going to do that right now, Andrew and Cheryl Pfeiffer. And uh, they really have a story that illustrates what we're talking about here today. So I'm going to invite Andrew and Cheryl to come up here right now. Cheryl will get the prime seat right there behind the podium. And um, let, let me say this about Cheryl and Andrew. They've been here at the church for 12 years. They came to Cincinnati so Andrew could, could attend a graduate school. He got his PhD in Hebrew. Man, how many people do you know that have a PhD in Hebrew? Not many. I knew a, couple, a few in seminary, of course. But uh, um, with the hope and the, and the goal of teaching in Bible college one day. But um, that, that didn't come to pass um, Different times we prayed and had opportunities that were disappointments. And that's one of the reasons that their story is so powerful. But, but they, they serve. They've served faithfully here over the years in a lot of different capacities. Andrew has taught classes. Cheryl uh, was our children's pastor for three years from 2012 to 2015. So she was on staff for that season of time. And now God has given them an opportunity and, and has made it clear to them that this is, what, this is what he was saving them for. That those other things, those moments of disappointment weren't the end. And they're going to move to Saco, Maine. And they are going to be on a church planting team there. What that means is that um, there's a couple there. They're going to plant the church, will be the lead the, you know, the, the leaders, the, the main leaders. But Cheryl and Andrew are going to be on that team. And let me tell you, having planted a church, they will be invaluable to this church planting effort. They will be the couple that will be there saying at different times, yeah, just keep going, this is okay, we've seen this before, you can do it. 
There'll be the couple that will be serving in various different ways as, as God just opens that up to them. But um, really, with, with that as a background, um, why don't you guys just talk about this church plant and what your hearts are for it and how you see yourselves being involved there? Let me see the button, Andrew. Push that button. Push it. Turn that light off. All right. Now we good? There you're good. All right. Good. I had right. the other mic first service. Technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for letting us um, sit with you for uh, a few moments this morning. Um, as Van said, we've been... Uh, here for 12 years, um, very involved in different times. Um, my, he didn't ask this question, but my um, one of my favorite things being able to, to help at this church is not um, speaking up front. If you were here five years ago, I spoke up front a couple times. Not the big things up front, but just serving alongside team members. I know we had young adults group that I've helped with, men's group I've helped with, and um, with the children's ministry. And just being together with um, with people. So what are we mm -hmm. going to be doing when we get there? Um, more of the same. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'll be, uh, certainly I'll be in the, in the teaching rotation mm -hmm. as they share that. Um, I will be tuning my eyes and ears to uh, leaders that are, want, it takes a lot of hands to, um, to start a church. And so really just walking with them, affirming them, standing by them, help you know, help supporting them. Um, certainly also still with the, with the children. Um, there are some young families that, um, that have started to gather and um, serving people by just affirming their children and affirming them as, as parents. That just, it goes a long way. And um, as I've been able to help out here. So that's a few things that I'll be doing. Cool. Just takes Andrew. Okay, time. so I um, super excited. Just what he said, being able to just we've been given words like we're just gonna he's gonna pick us up and he's gonna take us there and we're gonna just be who we are there and that's been really powerful for us. Um, just to be who we are, just somewhere else and the community. Could you put the map up there real quick? Distract <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, the community that we have received here, when we were in Indiana 12 years ago, and we came here, we're like, Cincinnati? The word community was strong back then, and as we go again, it's here. And we have received so much from here that we're just, it's overflow, is what we're taking. Um, so Maine, Saco, is, is, is a thousand miles away. And uh, we are really excited to link arms with what's already happening in the city uh, with Jenna and Sean Stepp and their three children. They're already loving passionately and their thing is love God, love people, love life. So we're just gonna jump in with them. Mm -hmm. And my two biggest passions are that children are loved and served well and that the children of God are loved and served well, specifically in, in soul care being able to sit with people one-on-one -on -one in groups, in silent retreats, in not silent retreats, but being able to sit with God and your story, your past, your present, your future, and just let God speak to your heart to trust that you can hear him and he has things to say 
specifically to you. It sounds like you guys are going to have a great time there, great ministry there. Um, with, with, with the waiting and the frustration of disappointment at different points in time, I know you bore that together, but uh, what, what's the key? You guys have remained faithful. You didn't, you didn't just step out of anything. You remained faithful pursuing God and his will for your lives. What's the key to that? The undauntedness. You've been undaunted. They've been undaunted, <laughs> folks, okay? So. It doesn't always look pretty, but we, um, simple obedience. Just mm -hmm. take the next step. If your next step is to do the prophetic class, then do that. If your next step is to shake hands with someone that you haven't met before, then that's your next step. To open your Bible, or to leave it open before you go to bed so that you roll over, you don't have to think about opening it, and you just read, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Go, home, go out with that, right? Um, to believe that when he gives you a word that it might be for someone, so pay attention. So I guess the simple obedience, a lot of time on our knees, um, just listening together, staying of one heart and one mind. The word that I want to give you real quick is, um, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's in Luke good 12. Word. That's good. So if you don't have a verse for tomorrow, wake up to that one. <laughs> Luke 12, 32, right? Yep, it's good. Awesome. Yeah. So the question um, how do we get through yeah. times of daunting times yeah. and daunting disappointing times, yeah. disappointing times? Um, for me, my biggest disappointment in per my personal journey, 41-year-old person, getting this PhD, thinking, hey, I want to go teach Bible classes, and then there not being opportunities to do that. I was hoping to do that at the college level. Couldn't find any. Okay, maybe I'll try something else. So you kind of give it up. And then God brings back, hey, how about this dream job? And I was the second candidate. They gave the position to someone. I'm like, okay. And so, so another chance to give it up. So the, the disappointment of what, where do I go now? I have a family. Mm -hmm. And um, how I got through that season of being undaunted, um, I was baffled by it. Mm -hmm. But um, the first thing is it was Jesus mm -hmm. that gave me the, the safety mm -hmm. to come to see myself differently, come to figure all of this out. And the way he, that he did that was through godly friendships. I know Van mentioned that earlier, people that would listen, people who could really sit with me and, um, and just walk with me through, through that confusing time, um, mm -hmm. so seeking that wise counsel. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, I know I'm a detailed person, but October 2016, I hit a wall. Andrew had been on third shift for nine months, so real quick, um, I felt like this is the end of the road for me. This cannot be my life. I'm not actually living God's best for my life right now. It feels dry, empty, dead. So I was talking to the kids in one night and then um, heard a podcast, and he said, so maybe it's time for you to pray the impossible over your children, over your family. Maybe it's time to pray kingdom dreams over them while they're sleeping or while they're awake or while you're going about your day. And I was faced with this impossible, like, what, how can my life be like this right now? And God um, just said, 
to so then pray for the impossible. Yeah, pray for my kingdom. And then in January, so four months later, just a simple request to come join a church plant in Maine. And it was, of course, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> yeah. And it's kingdom. So that's yeah. what we're going to do. That's awesome, Cheryl. And I know a lot more to that story as far as heart-to-heart connection with the people there and your involvement in their lives even now. But um, uh, it's awesome to hear how you kept going. And you just, you just stay faithful. And you said, Jesus, Andrew, how did Jesus do that for you? Um, for me, through the, you know, through, as I mentioned, through the, the friendships, prophetic words and images okay. helped. Yeah. Um, yeah. We didn't get a chance to speak about those yeah. this morning. But from other people, yeah. for us, um, we, have, uh, we have some friends from this church who, you know, just words of encouragement. Mm-hmm. And then helping me to, um, you know, I had one image of, uh, basically what it's like when I'm, when I'm on mission, you know, on the horse and going, and then an opposite one where I'm not doing anything. Uh, you know, the horse is there and I'm doing nothing. And that just, that mm-hmm. God loves me either mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And yeah. so there are some other words of prophecy that, that we've yeah. had. God just strengthened your hearts through that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. What are you most excited about as you go? And what, what challenges do you face? I get this one. Um, what we're most excited about, we, have, we do have cards, and there's a verse on here, um, a chapter in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. I, um, I won't read it. But um, it does speak about that Jesus gave his life for all of us, and therefore all of us can too, and not to live for ourselves, but to live for him who died for us. And so what I'm excited about is my kids are 12, 10, and 5. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited that we're at the age where um, we're not doing this for ourselves. We, we sold our house. Uh, we have to get out in four weeks. I have no idea. God sold our house. God sold our house. No idea where we're going to be. Um, I don't have any job lined up there. It's going to be tough to mm-hmm. um, figure that out. I'm working now in technology. But um, we're just supposed to go. And mm-hmm. I'm excited about this not living for ourselves. As he mm-hmm. said, you know, if you, lose your life, if you lose your lives, that's how you save them. Mm, so. That's awesome. That's great. And your kids are excited about this too. Yeah. Aren't yeah, they? he's giving them dreams and words. And our 12-year-old, when he was 11, he just turned 12 this past Monday. He was 11. God gave him this dream, and he came out, and he goes, just had this dream that something really big is going to happen to our family when I turn 12. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. So how can we help? How can we support you in this new journey you're on? Thank you. Um, Three things, if I remember them all this time. Um, We we did make um, some cards that will be back there. Um, that have our names on it and some things, but how how we can help? We um, we will need some help with mm-hmm. the transition over the next year, just financially. Mm-hmm. Um, relocation costs, house selling mm-hmm. costs. Those are we love the house we're in, mm-hmm. but um, it's right. expensive to get out of a house yeah, yeah. and to to get our stuff there. Sure Cost of living is um, is higher there, um, and then whenever you make a job shift, it's not always this upward things. So mm-hmm. um, so financially, we, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but the most important thing for me, the help that I can receive is um, just whenever you're able to reach out to us, 
um, uh, words of encouragement, prayer. We've got connection information here. My wife um, specifically was asking for if anyone has pictures or images or um, or something of that nature. That's been so um, encouraging to us, or a verse um, that uh, that's really really carried us through. Um, so I think that was all three of them. But thank you. That's great. That's awesome, guys. So as a church, out of our general budget, we will provide some support for Andrew and Cheryl and their family. But uh, many of you might also want to, above and beyond your normal giving, give something to them. And if, if you'd like to do that, there are ways to do that. You can check with them. They'll be back here on my left. It will be on your right, the very back of the auditorium after the service. You can connect with them, um, ask them questions, uh, pick up their cards, stay in touch with them, okay? And we will, before they actually leave, we will have a time where we kind of ordain them to go. Right now, I'm just going to pray for them, and uh, then we're going to move into worship for the rest of our service. But uh, Father God, I thank you that you, you bring us people like Cheryl and Andrew who live undaunted lives, who uh, press into what you have for them just out of love for you and confidence in your love for them. We, we bless you. We uh, pray a clear path ahead for you of provision and relationships and blessing for you and your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's thank them. Let's stand up and thank them. Really good. All right. Uh, we're going to receive our offering, then we're going to go straight into worship from there. So the offering baskets are on the far left side of the row. If you reach down and grab that, pick it up, pass it across the row, and uh, we just pray blessings. I, I pray right now, Jesus, not only blessings on um, Cheryl and Andrew and their family, but on every family in this church, bless us, God, uh, j because you want to, Lord. And so that we can give more, so we can be more involved and more behind the advance of your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. After the offerings come by, you feel free to stand and worship with us. You may always come up front if that's what you want to do. If you move around a lot, dance, there's room in the back. It's not that we don't want to see you, but there's just more room back there. Trust. For we trust in our God, and through His unfailing love, we will not be shaken, we will not be shaken, we will not be shaken. Say that again, for we trust in our God. For we trust in our God. unfailing love we will not be shaken no we will not be shaken we will not be shaken 